tonight on Ithaca Now. Buffalo Street Books shareholders and Ithaca community members are discussing the future of the store after a buildup of financial issues. Independent bookstores bring a, a thoughtfulness and a humanity the, to the process of the books that they're curating, you know, as opposed to simply um, selling books that make money. Sunnyside Farms is one local farm using renewable energy, but there are some barriers that prevent renewable energy from spreading. By the farmer has been higher than the price that they've been paid for the milk. So farms don't have any money to invest really in anything right now. They're just trying to survive. A nonprofit providing support to people with disabilities in central New York held a celebration at Ithaca College this week. And our vision is a, a world where all people know they belong. And you can't have that vision if only people with disabilities are working on it, right? If you're not working on it as a person without a disability, then it's not going to work. And we sat down with John Souter, a coordinating member of Ithaca's chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice. We tend to be unaware of the racism that's maybe not overt prejudice, but just that is built into the ways we were, we've been socialized. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. Good evening and welcome to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Salisa Kalakul, and thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, WICB correspondents Bronte Cook and Quinn Theobald Look into the state of Buffalo Street Books, Ithaca's independent bookstore facing serious financial troubles. But first, we'll turn to Bridget Bright and Annika Kushner with this week's Community Beat. State Senator Tom O'Meara traveled to Ithaca on Thursday evening to speak with locals about their concerns with the state government. Locals brought up issues like library funding, water quality, and transportation. O'Meara's focus was to discuss what he sees as the two biggest issues of today, healthcare and energy. Former Ithaca College student Nicholas Feminella was sentenced on Wednesday to six years in prison after pleading guilty to possession of child pornography. He was arrested in November of 2015 for having almost 14,000 pictures and videos from child pornography sites. His sentence also includes $20,000 in restitution. Mayor Savante Merrick spoke at Ithaca College this week to talk about the LGBTQ community in Ithaca. He announced a new policy that will protect transgender citizens in their health care and privacy. The meeting also covered how to be an ally for the community. Merrick said that, although allies are not directly a part of the LGBTQ community, they are extremely valuable to those a part of it. A new shopping center may be coming to Ithaca. Eric Goetzman, a local developer, is planning a two-building plaza next to the shops at Ithaca Mall. Goetzman bought the property, which is currently an empty lot, for $590,000 back in 2016. It's still in the early stages, but Goetzman says he envisions neighborhood-focused retail options and possibly some sit-down restaurants. A man was arrested Tuesday night after allegedly attempting to steal a backpack off of a pedestrian's back. The victim called the Ithaca Police Department after the incident occurred on the 600 block of West Clinton Street. The victim reported that after she bit the man in defense, he got away on foot. The man, Christopher Hartman, is being charged for attempted robbery in the third degree. After a month of construction, Ithaca's Aldi grocery store officially reopened on Thursday. The store has undergone quite a few changes. It has expanded, it's open for more hours, and it'll have fresh produce, dairy, and baked goods. 
Ithaca's Aldi is one of around 1,300 Aldi stores being upgraded across the country. For Bridget Bright, I'm Annika Kushner, WICB News. Buffalo Street Books is valued for its independence and its roots in the Ithaca area, but it may be on the verge of closing down. WICB correspondents Bronte Cook and Quinn Theobald have more on the future of this local bookstore. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, this past Thursday, Ithaca community members crowded into Buffalo Street Books to attend an emergency public meeting. The emergency? Buffalo Street Books is in a dismal financial state, and sales have been decreasing consistently throughout the years. At the meeting, store owners and community members asked one unifying question. What's next for the independent bookstore? And what is the community going to do to save it? In 2011, Buffalo Street Books almost closed its doors due to extreme financial trouble. What kept it going was a huge community buyout, which kept the bookstore open and made it a cooperatively owned property. This buyout let community members purchase $250 shares of the store, which allowed them to have a say in the decisions of the bookstore and a vote on who sits on the board. Throughout the last six years, over 700 people have become part-time owners. So, with the success of the cooperative program, why is the bookstore still failing? Since 2011, the bookstore has lost about $50,000 a year due to publisher costs and declining sales. The store then had to borrow money from loaning agencies and members of the Ithaca community. So we owe close to $100,000. That means that we're, we're unable to order from publishers. Without money, we're not going to be able to continue to buy books. And without, book, without buying books, we're not going to be able, obviously, to make it through a holiday season to even um, persist as a store. That was Rob Vanderlane the president of Buffalo Street Books Executive Board. At Thursday's meeting, Vanderland also emphasized how the increase in competition is yet another reason for the bookstore's financial struggles. In smaller towns like Ithaca, local businesses are often taken for granted. And, with internet shopping growing every day, independent businesses like Buffalo Street Books take more and more financial risk as they attempt to compete with giant corporations. Amazon, uh, growing with extraordinary rapidity uh, to the point where they were able to offer people books at the click of a button for uh, less money. That took a big toll on the book industry in Ithaca. Buffalo Street Books is widely known throughout Ithaca for building local connections. The store has hosted hundreds of events including book signings, poetry readings, and other inclusive activities. To many at that public meeting, Buffalo Street Books is more than just a bookstore. It is a symbol of community. The reason that we, that we love having this bookstore here is I think independent bookstores bring a, a thoughtfulness and a humanity that, to the process of the books that they're curating, you know, as opposed to simply um, selling books that make money. That was Sarisha McClory, one of the owners of the store, along with her husband. They were both shocked by the news of its possible closing, and they went to the meeting to find out how they could help. Woody Chichester, the general manager of Buffalo Street Books, says that the bookstore has a very special quality to it that defines its role in the community. Because we're more than just a bookstore. Um, we're a place where people meet. We're a place where people come and discover books. 
We're a place where people come in to have conversations. And the bookstore also partners with schools and colleges in the area to provide course packs, which they deliver directly to the classroom for relatively cheap prices. Chris Holmes, an executive board member of Buffalo Street Books and an English professor at Ithaca College, told us why he, as a professor, values Buffalo Street Books and its role on Ithaca's campus. Whenever I um, host an author or a speaker who has a book that they're going to read from, or I always partner with Buffalo Street Books, and they hold the event, they sell the books on our campus, and they do that at Cornell and IC all the time. Um, and they do it with a flexibility that not even those, the university and the college's bookstores can do. Um, so when Ithaca College can't staff, um, an event, Buffalo almost always can. With so many community members advocating for Buffalo Street Books, what is the community going to do differently this time to keep the store alive? They need to raise a lot of money to get out of debt. But one urgent goal was to raise $12,000 for rent to save the large meeting space that was added in 2011. Some of those who attended the community meeting seemed to have a couple of ideas. Throughout the night, a number of attendees nearly jumped out of their seats with ideas for fundraising and how to help the store. One community member even suggested that they find one person to commit a $6,000 donation themselves to match community donations raising the other $6,000. And before the end of the meeting, an attendee personally offered to be the $6,000 donor. The Buffalo Street Book staff was extremely pleased with the results of the meeting, but they said they still need donations and help. Chris Holmes and the rest of the executive board hope that the community will come together to help save this independent bookstore. Um, this is really a call out to the entire Ithaca community. So everyone from For Quinn Theobald, I'm Bronte Cook, WICB News. Farms pump a lot of greenhouse gases into the air, but one farm in upstate New York is using renew renewable energy to reduce carbon emissions. WICB correspondents Amanda Chin and Peter Champelli and contributing reporter Madison Fernandez give us a look into Sunnyside Farms and the use of methane digesters. $48. That's how much each metric ton of carbon dioxide emissions cost society, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. The problem with this scenario? Corporations and factories aren't taxed for this estimated price of carbon dioxide. And places with renewable energy aren't rewarded for the cost that they're saving society. This cost of the damage from climate change is significant. In one day, over 30 million tons of CO2 are put into the air by farms in the U.S., according to a 2012 study. This means that in the big picture, farms are costing our society $1.5 billion a day. If places like local farms were given money for reducing carbon emissions, they could afford even more effective methods of renewable energy, such as methane digesters. Luckily, far, there's a technology in our digestion um, that uh, can be used to, to treat, we call it treatment, in our treatment to treat dairy manure um, and intentionally produce methane gas within an enclosed uh, gas-tight vessel. And the gas collected with a pipe transported from that vessel to some device that needs uh, energy. That was Kurt Gooch, Senior Extension Associate in the Department of Animal Science at Cornell University. He's a team leader of a program which focuses on the impact that dairy farming has on the environment. Farms make a huge contribution to greenhouse gas emissions. 14.5% of all emissions come from livestock, over half of these emissions from cattle alone. The methane they produce is over 100 times more powerful than carbon dioxide as a global warming agent. In an effort to lower these emissions, farms across the country are exploring the option of installing methane digesters. 
Sunnyside Farms in Cayuga County is one of the largest dairy farms in New York State, and it installed a methane digester in 2015. With the introduction of the digester, not only was the farm's odor reduced, but the nutrient management was improved. Even more, renewable energy was able to be generated from manure. By reducing the farm's greenhouse gas emissions directly because we're two ways. One, we're generating renewable energy instead of using fossil fuels, and two, um, instead of the methane coming off from the long-term storage, we, we are, we're reducing the methane emissions from the long-term storage. We're doing it intentionally in a smaller, uh, smaller vessel. But that's the problem. Sunnyside is a large farm. Gooch says many of the farms in central New York are smaller and are unable to afford these digesters. Farms have a, farms have a uh, choice of where to invest their money. Um, if they have money invested, one of the problems right now is the last three years, the price of milk. The price of making milk by the farmer has been higher than the price that they've been paid for the milk. So farms don't have any money to invest really in anything right now. They're just trying to survive. So it's hard for them to invest in you know, millions and millions of dollars into renewable energy technologies when they've got to essentially figure out how to keep going month after month. But some people get scared when they hear the word methane. Although it may cause some hesitation, Gooch doesn't want you to confuse methane from cows with methane coming out of the ground. So that's a good thing, even though we hear methane and we know it's a potent greenhouse gas. We're doing this all above the Earth's crust, so we're not, we're not increasing. As long as we can bust it, we're not increasing the global warming potential of our emissions from the farm. For any farm that has a focus on renewable energy, Gooch says that methane digesters are the way to go. But again, they're expensive and environmentally conscious organizations don't receive any help for the damage they are preventing. Not only are the digesters themselves expensive, but the labor required to keep the systems going costs more than many farms can afford. So this is the question Gooch is addressing now. How can we make methane digesters more accessible in New York and beyond? We have been working really hard at the state level to try to make this understood, and, and uh, others are trying to lobby. Um, we don't lobby, but others are trying to lobby for for some change in the state policy so, so that we can have more digesters uh, in New York State on dairy farms. Farms have a big effect on climate change. Kurt Gooch, an environmental activist, say that the government should pay farms that use renewable energy. That would be the financial incentive to help farms cut back on emissions. For Amanda Chin and contributing reporter Madison Fernandez, I'm Peter Ciampelli, WICB News. Grant cuts at the state and federal level are putting down profits for people with disabilities at risk. WICB correspondents Elena Peach and Madison Moore take a look at how this issue is affecting the Racker Centers in Central New York. We encourage them to work really hard to find their best selves and to find a place that they can belong. Last Thursday, over 210 people gathered at Ithaca College to attend a Tompkins Community Celebration hosted by the Francisca Rackers Centers. This nonprofit provides services and support to people with disabilities in Central New York. Dan Brown is the Executive Director for the Racker Centers, and he said holding these kind of community events helps to promote the work and vision of the nonprofit. So we do a celebration in each of the three counties to um, highlight our work and uh, invite the community in to participate because if you uh, were there at the celebration our vision is a, a world where all people know they belong and you can't have that vision if only people with disabilities are working on it right this year the racker centers incorporated a panel discussion into their celebration 
The panel included a group of people who received services from the Racker Centers. They talked about how the center has impacted their lives. Dan Brown also gave a presentation on belonging. I, I think this year we as a, as a team pulled uh, everything together in terms of the sort of vision, the belonging vision for the agency. And so the few people that I spoke with before um, they left this uh, morning um, basically made that comment about how, how everything was focused around that. With talks of the federal and state government cutting programs and grants, Brown says he's worried that he can't pay his employees the wages they deserve. So our staff have very complex work. They're not paid nearly enough money. And what I can pay them is a direct reflection of what the state pays me to provide the service. And so we need the state to change what they're reimbursing us so that I can pay staff a better wage. So right now we're hiring people at $11 an hour to do that work. All these downtowns advertising for cashiers at twelve fifty. One person working to address the issue of funding for nonprofits is New York State Senator Tom O'Mara. At the Racker Center celebration, he was recognized for his work to protect people with disabilities in the legislature. Yeah, I got their uh, special friend uh, award this year, uh, and uh, this is their annual celebration that they do this breakfast they do every year, and they they gave several other awards out to uh, other outstanding individuals involved in the institution. Uh, I've worked very hard uh, over my years in the state legislature uh, to help support programming uh, of this type uh, across the state, and particularly in the 58th Senate District. Uh, it, it shows, I think, a recognition of that work that I've done. You know, we worked very hard uh, in the last year for the Be Fair to Direct Care uh, campaign, which was meant to provide additional resources to uh, institutions like the Racker Center to help make up uh, the difficulties that we're going to see with the increasing minimum wages. And that was for last year. O'Mara says budget cuts are always on his mind. We're always worried uh, about budget cuts uh, in a variety of ways. But, you know, the, this is a, a class of individuals with developmental disabilities that uh, we really need to look out for. And, and there's really strong motivation uh, amongst members of the legislature to make sure that we do that. And we've shown that in recent years uh, with our work to do that. So with projected uh, deficits uh, in the state coming up. You know, that right now the governor is, is putting together his executive budget that we'll get in January, but right now is the time of year that he and uh, his administration put together their budgets. Uh, there is a forecast for significant uh, uh, budget deficits, uh, as well as what, what might be coming down in cuts from the federal government uh, related to health care uh, and other areas as well. Without proper funding, the Racker Centers would not be able to fulfill their mission of helping people with disabilities. Well, it ties into um, having things for people with disabilities be the same path as people for or people without disabilities, right? So if all the paths are the same, and then what we're doing as an organization are providing the supports that they need to be able to follow the same path, then we know we're hitting on a community where everybody knows they belong. For those interested in learning more about disability rights in Tompkins County, tune into Bridged, a WRFI community radio news series exploring housing and accessibility in Tompkins County. The first episode of this series will air on WRFI this Friday. For Madison Moore, I'm Alana Peach, WICV News. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear from John Suter, one of the coordinating members of Ithaca's chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. 
So imagine you're driving down the highway, craving some tunes, but you can't find the perfect radio station. Not a CD in sight, but you do have your smartphone. It's iHeart Radio to the rescue. With over 1,500 live radio stations, including the very best in college radio. Ithaca's very own commercial-free WICB. You'll never be without some awesome music ever again. That's the iHeart Radio app. Available right now at iHeartRadio.com. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Salisa Kalakal. John Suter is one of the coordinating members of Ithaca's chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. SURGE is a network of groups across the country dedicated to organizing white people to join the fight for racial justice and the fight against white supremacy. News director Peter Champelli sat down with John Suter to learn more about the organization. So I guess first, could you introduce yourself and talk about your role in Ithaca's chapter of SURGE? I'm John Souter. Um, I'm on the coordinating team. Uh, there are nine of us on the team, and we've been we uh, surge in Ithaca got started in 2015, and so we've had uh, coordinating team has been made up of anywhere from six to nine to twelve people. It's about, it's about nine now. Could you describe to me uh, so what what is surge in a nutshell, and uh, what are some of the I guess goals and what's your mission statement? Well, the surge is uh, a group of white people, mostly white people, organized. The purpose of it is to organize other white people to address issues of race and racism, to combat uh, white supremacy. And it, it grew out of the conversations that were, having, that were, were happening around uh, the murder of young black people, Trayvon Martin and then Ferguson and uh, that whole phenomenon that uh, with social media and, and growing awareness of these issues uh, became much more widely known. And white people were looking for ways to, to um, respond to it. And very often the ways white people responded to issues of race and racism was to talk to black people and say, what should we do? And make usually a lot of mistakes along the way because as white people, we generally don't know what it's like being a person of color, being black. And we tend to be unaware of the racism that's maybe not overt prejudice, but just that is built into the ways we were, we've been socialized. Um, so can you tell me kind of the story of how Ithaca's local chapter of Surge uh, came to be? Were you, were you there from the beginning, and how did that translate? Yeah, um, I was actually part of, uh, well, a, a lot of the people who got started with Surge here had been part of the talking circles on race and racism, which were run for have been were run for several years out of the Multicultural Resource Center. A few a few of the founding members um, got together and thought we should start a chapter. And I and a couple of other people in our generation, most of these folks were younger, and when we saw Surge show up uh, as a possibility, we were really excited because we were young people who were well-trained in organizing, knew a lot about uh, these issues, had been activists for a while. And um, so we came together and began having meetings and figuring out what to do next. So Surge is providing a venue and a framework within which to think about race and racism and ways to engage with people uh, around the community around those issues. Okay, great. And so what, what generally happens at those, at those meetings? Like, 
can you kind of just paint a picture of like what it's like? Well, actually, there is a we we begin for new members. There's a five thirty orientation, so somebody coming for the first time gets a half hour introduction to what what surge is about and how it operates. And then uh, beginning at six, we usually have some kind of introductions around. We have usually two facilitators for the overall meeting, and and the, that facilitation rotates. So we get somewhat different styles and different formats, but generally. And the, uh, there, we're, we're introducing uh, people to particular issues of, of uh, racism, either trainings or, or around action or education about, about issue, particular issues themselves. Sometimes it's presentations from people um, from other organizations in the community, particularly led by people of color who are bringing us into their, their orbit and looking for support or ways that we can become involved. So, so for example, we... One month we had a training, a marshal training for people. We often attend or and participate in rallies and marches and things like that, street demonstrations. And there's an, often a need for uh, for marshals to to manage to do crowd control and handle the things that can come up there. So we had a training. So a number of us were trained so that we have that skill. We're also interested in issues of class as well, because class has a uh, has a lot to do with how power is structured in in our society. Um, can you tell me about some of those past <coughs> projects? Uh, is there any, been anything that you felt was uh, particularly had maybe like a concrete accomplishment or um, things that you're particularly proud of? Well, I think the one of the th- one of the projects that gets at the kind of at the heart of what Surge is about was a door knocking project. Uh, using Black Lives Matter signs, and what we would do was is we would canvas a neighborhood, and we did this here in Ithaca along Cayuga Street, and other some other streets in in uh, downtown Ithaca, and before before Ithaca Festival and before Streets Alive, and we would knock on doors, uh, ask people, tell people uh, with Black Lives Matter signs with us, and. Ask, tell them about surge. Ask them if, if they'd be willing to have a conversation about race, and asking if them, asking them if they'd be willing to um, put a Black Lives Matter sign in their yard. And it was a so this was a way of engaging people, calling people in to become more active. And it was very exciting because the day or two days before the festival, um, we had I think forty five or fifty signs along Cuga Street, which was a, a real statement. And it and it and it sh- it was a show of of commitment on the part of the people who put the signs up. It sent a message to people in the black community and other communities of color that there were some white people who supported their work. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear more from John Suter. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. This message from WICB. There are hundreds of ways to say yes. Kai. Si. Yao. Ta. We. Ya. But there are just as many ways to say no. Bu. No. Nay. Kaum. No. Nein. Whatever your partner says, respect their decision. If you or someone you know has been affected by sexual assault, call the Advocacy Center of Ithaca at 607-277-5000. Want to hear more female artists on the Station for Innovation? Tune in to Eve Out Loud to hear a variety of female-fronted music. Sunday nights at 8 on 92 WICB.
Welcome back to Ithaca Now. If you're just joining us, we're hearing from John Suter, one of the coordinating members of Ithaca's chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice. It's a policy at national level and locally that any income that we that we bring in, that we will make an each equal contribution to a black-led organization. And that's that's part of the accountability relationship. And this is it's both because we have greater access and because we have a common sense that our our that the liberation of people of color is related to our liberation as white people. We're all caught up in this racist white supremacist matrix that's damaging to everyone. And it's hard for us as white people to really experience it as damaging to us because we get most of the benefits of it. Could you kind of paint a picture of what what would it look like to someone uh, that wanted to be involved so they came to their first meeting? What would that look like to them? And and, uh, I guess what would their involvement be like sort of as an incoming member? Great. So um, they would come in 5.30, uh, sit in a room with, you know, five or six or ten or so other people and have an introduction and then in the then there'd be 40 or 50 people in the room they would go through we would, everyone would be introduced there are conversations in groups of two or three or four as people you know people sharing with each other about some topic and there would be the, edu- the education center a session and for many people i think at first it's it's they're listening they're bringing whatever experience they have to it and it's a lively group there are various action groups. Uh, there's a, an education working group. There are various projects that, that, w- that we are involved with at different times. So some people, some people get involved in projects of our own. Some people, sometimes we officially support and get involved in supporting other organizations. And sometimes people come away from one or two or three of our meetings and realize that they want to take what they're learning back into their workplace, into their family. Um, so I, I want to switch topics a little bit. Yeah. Um, so uh, as I was mentioning as we were sitting down for the interview, uh, on our show we've talked about a lot of issues uh, in Ithaca. Um, mm. In recent weeks, from, from your perspective and the perspective of Surge, what is the current climate like in Ithaca? And I guess what, mm. what are some of these current issues going on? There's several layers of things. There's One of the obvious ones is... Uh, the immigration issue, so that's mobilized a lot of people, uh, and there's a there's a strong and that's that's mobilized people, and it's it's uh, it's a very serious challenge around here. So when something when is, immigrant immigration issues come up, we don't have a particular project of our own about that, but we send people to or we support we have people who are supporting the immigrant rights coalition that is addressing those issues specifically. Surge has become kind of a hub. I would say for uh, for people or organizations come to us and say, "Can you support us with this? Can you support us in this effort?" So we've been very active with uh, in support of uh, decarcerate Tompkins and the the issue to uh, stop the jail expansion and other dimensions of the of the mass incar- the mass incarceration movement. Another project of ours that I didn't mention before is we have a a um, a research team that has been studying structural racism, how, how structural racism shows up in Tompkins County. We have a sense of it as a national organization, or as a n- national phenomenon, but they are, com- they are gathering data about how structural racism shows up. And I wanted to mention, I wanted to emphasize that 
point because people often think of racism as primarily individual prejudice about, you know, that, that you don't complete, treat black people well or you have judgments about, uh, racist judgments about people. But racism has been, uh, its most powerful and devastating impact is through the structures and systems of the country. So this the systemic racism that, uh, for example, has denied people of color the ability to live in to to live in integrated neighborhoods to live in neighborhoods where there were good services and so forth to get to get loans to purchase housing this is beginning in the 1930s all the way up until legally all the way up until the late 20th century and and it's still a function it's still not legal but still carried out that banks or that people uh, landlords will often not rent to people of color. Banks will not give loans to people of color. So wealth building in the United States is almost, for most people, has been by owning a house and then being, having it appreciate and being able to sell it and move up, leave it to their children. That's been pretty much denied to uh, black people and other people of color. And similarly with education, access to jobs and education. So these structural systems that per, that discriminate um, are much harder to get at, and structural racism is is uh, most devastating over the long term. And so we have a, a group that's been studying this and coming out with uh, data, uh, statistics, and and analysis that allows us to understand how structural racism shows up here. That's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to us on the iTunes Podcast Store. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, our Station Manager, Alex Bredekin, News Director, Peter Champelli, and, and our correspondents, Bridget Bright, Annika Kushner, Bronte Cook, Quinn Theobald, Amanda Chin, Madison Fernandez, Elena Peach, and Madison Moore. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful week. I'm Salisa Kalakal, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.